Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Anything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown! You're listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right. Another week, and the Eagles are back on a win streak as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 211. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I catch up with NFL Film senior producer Greg Cosell to break down what we saw from the tape in the Eagles' dismantling of the New York Jets in week five. A lot to break down on both sides of the football from that matchup. And then we will move forward to this week's game against the Minnesota Vikings. The Eagles travel back up to the friendly confines of Minneapolis. So that will be a fun, a fun game to break down. We'll do that in Chalk Talk. After that, we will advance then to my scouting report segment where I will read my notes on Minnesota running back Dalvin Cook and his game coming out of Florida State back in 2017. A lot of similarities between the player that he was in college to where he is now in the NFL with one big crucial difference in my mind. We'll get to that in that segment, but let's not waste any more time. Let's get to Chalk Talk now with Greg Cosell. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Well, joining us once again here on Chalk Talk on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, is Greg Cosell. Greg, welcome back. Fran? It's uh, week six. Big Eagles win. Win streak. First win streak of the season. Right. Um, They're all big. Wins are all big. Wins are all big. There's only 16 games. As Doug Peterson says, winning is tough in the NFL, and there's only 16, so you need to win as many of them as you can. We talked about last week what the beginning of the season's all about, and it's about stacking wins. So uh, the Eagles have done that now two weeks in a row. Um, Going into a big stretch. This is a this is a huge three season defining row, right? stretch. Yeah, three home games in a row, and then even on the back end of that, you've got some tough ones as well right. coming back at home. So, so it's it's Minnesota, Minnesota, Dallas, uh, Dallas, uh, followed by who am I missing there? I'm only looking at the, the next two weeks. I know it's, a, it's, a, I know tough it's a tough. It's, a, it's, it's a, another. Tough it's one. a tough three game stretch. Buffalo? And yes, I think it is Buffalo. It's Buffalo, and then yes. it's the. I'm pulling up the schedule now on the Eagles official app, which you should be downloading if you don't already have it. So I'm glad that I have it, so that I can quickly pull up the Eagles schedule, which would tell me that as I'm buying time, <laughs> the Eagles. And there you have, go. Not uh, as quick as you thought. Minnesota on the road next week. Then you got Sunday night football. Uh, the week after that against Dallas. Dallas. You've got the Chicago or the Buffalo Bills on the road. Then you've got the Chicago Bears at home. By week, Patriots at home, Ooh. Seahawks at home. That's a hell of a six-game yeah, stretch. Yeah, but you right have there. Chicago at home. By so you essentially have three home games in a row. You have three home games after in a row. the three road games. Correct with okay. the bye week in, in there, and then you wrap it up with the Miami Dolphins, and then four division games. It's a tough schedule. That's your stretch. That's the season right there. Right. It's a it's a it's a really important stretch. Well, here you can argue out. the next three weeks are kind of the season because you certainly can't lose all three games on the road. Yeah, you don't want to lose all three. I wouldn't say it's the season, but it's the it's a to me it's like this is a season defining stretch That's over the, the next six. It. It's I, like uh, right, you know right. you kind of figure out all right what what is this team right. made of what are they Correct. what are, you know what are we looking at here? Um, but ultimately, look uh, this you're going off what this past performance was uh, defensively. We'll start on defense. 
It was a an, all, an all-timer performance in terms of the stat sheet. I mean, 10 sacks, uh, second all-time for this Eagles franchise. Yeah. Um, you know, against, you know, obviously, look, a Jets team that we talked about right, has, has, right. has issues. Look, I think you have to be realistic. It's a good performance, and you want a good performance against bad teams. What you wanted was what happened in this game, where you go out in front, and not that you're cruising, but you're basically playing uh, with house money, so to speak, because you're ahead. Um the Eagles did some good things on defense with their pressure concepts. Clearly, Jim Schwartz, who does not blitz the way he did this week normally, yep. and with the variety and diversity of blitzes that we did see, which clearly are in the playbook, but he does not use a lot of those that often. I mean, I can remember, uh, was it the f- first Skandrick sack, maybe? Uh, was the, it slot, the, the slot and corner and pressure. And the corner, the corner cat by Douglas from the boundary. He dropped both D tackles. Right, and and the uh, blitz by Skandrick. Yep. So you know, we really, I don't, I don't recall seeing that particular blitz this year. Maybe it happened. No, they ran it a couple times in the game. But I don't recall was, yeah. seeing it prior to this game. No, I don't believe so. So uh, clearly, he felt given the offensive line issues, the young quarterback who's, and you hate to use this word, but. I'm not sure of another word right now, is was a little panicky prior to this game, and it showed up in this game. So, you know, Jim felt that this was a good way to go. Yeah, I mean, I think when you pair the blitzes with the stunts, and, you know, when, you're, when you have that yep. with, uh, look, this is a team coming off the bye, but you have two new pieces in it on the offensive line. You had a new left guard in Alex Lewis, a new right tackle, and a rookie, Chuma Adoga. So you're saying, all right, well, from a stunt perspective, and you're putting stress on those guys, telling them to communicate and pass guys off, guys that aren't used to lining up next to each other, Right. that puts a little bit right. of stress on them in those situations. No, and I think it's funny you say that about Adoga because I thought that um, uh, that first third and long, third and nine, when the when uh, I guess it was Graham's first sack. Yep. Um, no, I'm thinking of the Scandrick forced sack, uh, forced fumble. Actually, Got it. okay. I thought they did a really good job of of pressuring Adoga mentally because Sweat lined up outside, not super wide, but outside Adoga. Yep. And he obviously then slanted inside because Scandrick was coming, but just his mere alignment made Adoga pause because that was his guy pre-snap. Yep. And then just that pause allowed Scandrick to get the edge. Yep. Simple things like that. For a young player like Adoga, who probably hasn't seen much of what the Eagles did, you know, not in the Pac-12. He wasn't no, no, that. not in the Pac-12. Little things like that, subtle, nuanced things like that, really lead to big plays. Yeah, and what I liked also from that blitz in particular was, uh, you know, you drop Vinnie Curry into the passing lane, so they were hoping to hit Jameson Crowder on the shallow, uh, and once that was taken away. Luke Falk. I mean, you're talking Jameson about that from a Crowder quarterback standpoint. Know better, Fran. Yeah, he to cut they, that. They they saw were that in off. Zone. Yep. He's running right to get covered. He should have settled down, yep. and there would have been a throw. Yep. Now I'm not saying Falk would have thrown it, but he was looking at Crowder. Yeah. And but and and quite honestly, I'm sure he's being coached because he's he's a veteran. He should have known better. That's fair. Yeah, I think ultimately uh, the Eagles were able to break down protection. Right. They were able to get home. Uh, I would, you know, I think a lot of people are saying, you know, talking about the blitz, and they did. I put all, I did all the numbers uh, in my Eagle Eye in the Sky column, recapping that performance. Right. Uh, they blitzed just about fifty percent of dropbacks, fifty percent of snaps. I mean, run, that run is, against the run, it was fifty percent as well. Clearly meant for that game. I, my guess is you're not going to see that on a weekly basis. In your experience talking with coaches in the past, with defensive coaches, right. when you get into a game like that. I, th- I would think that one other positive to come from that is that you're also breaking tendencies as well. You know, Correct. you have these coaches coming up uh, in the next few games that are going to be running reports and running cut-ups. Oh, what have they done in the last four? 
all those blitzes, they kind of throw off tendencies a little bit for when these teams now are preparing for the Eagles the next few weeks. Well, the other interesting thing, too, and again, we assume that his game plan probably did have more blitzes in it. But it's also possible that when the game started playing out and the Eagles got ahead 14-0, I think they went ahead 14-0 on the Nate Gary pick, correct? Yes, correct. And when that happened, it's also possible that, that... uh, Coach Schwartz just said, "You know what? We're just calling blitzes." Yep. You know, you know. Maybe if the game, for whatever reason, was seven three in the middle of the second quarter, who knows? Yeah. But the game played out, and they just kept coming and coming and coming. And I also loved what they did with Brandon Graham. He lined up basically four I five technique, whatever you'd like to call it. But he was basically a defensive tackle, even though he was lined up over the uh, the offensive tackle. Yep. And he had, I think. All three of his sacks, three of his I sacks think, came, came from that from that spot. Yep. So they did some good things there. They're moving people around. Um, you know, the nice thing about someone like Orlando Skandrick, and he's later in his career, so he's probably not the athlete that he was earlier in his career. Sure. He's, he's had a nice NFL career. Yeah. Is He probably picks things up pretty quickly. He was here in camp. Yep. Uh, so he understood. He came in, played the slot. He's played a lot of slot in his career. Um so you, you get someone like that, you're not, even though he's technically a street free agent, it's not the same as bringing in, let's say, a 22-year-old rookie free agent. Of course. Yeah, no, I mean, I think and that's... And I think that's critical. I think that allowed them to do a lot of the things that they did. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about that in the past in this podcast, yeah. just, you know, the reliance on veterans. I think when you have a team that's competing for a Super Bowl, as opposed to a team that's kind of on the rise, you know, I don't think the New York Jets, if, you know, if they had a problem at slot corner... They may not be looking at a guy like Orlando right, Skandrick. Right. They may be looking at a young piece that they want to try and grow. Um, but the Eagles, you go in and get a guy like Skandrick. He comes in, and this was going back to the summer. He comes in, he competes, he makes the rest of your room better, and now you've got a guy that if you do run into a pinch later in the season, you bring back in this kind of scenario, no question. and he's ready to play. Yep. Um, it, you might be surprised. Seven of the ten sacks uh, came out of a four-man rush. That is correct. Yeah, which I you know went no, back. I noticed that as well. Yeah, char- you know charting. Um, you know, and look, the blitzes were very prevalent, and Luke Falk struggled against the blitz. There's no getting around that. I thought he got a little bit better against it in the third quarter and, and moving on. But um, overall, the four-man rush uh, was very, pre- you know, was very uh, productive for them. They ran a lot of different stunts, as we mentioned. Brandon Graham moved inside. All three of those sacks, yep. like you said, came inside. Fletcher Cox didn't end up with a sack, but I thought he impacted the game. Had a couple of really nice rushes. I thought he helped force that interception by Rodney McLeod as well. Yeah, I think that that a number of the plays I saw, I, I felt that Cox really had inside pressure that got Falk, um, who was a little antsy to begin with. Yep. But I think it got him moving. Sure. And and you know that look that that stuff doesn't show up in a box score, but but Cox is a guy. Uh, that is is critical to what this team does. Uh, I like when they line him up as a zero technique. I yeah. think that's which they did a number they, of times. And they in did this it game. on that play on the McLeod yeah. play. He was yeah. a zero. Yeah. Um, why do you like that so much? Well, I think you get a one on one with with the center, and if you choose to help him with either of the guards, I think that sets up other things. Yeah. So I think it works if it stays as a one on one because he's pretty much going to overmatch any center in the league. And as I said, if the offense decides that they want to slide or they want to do some things, you, you'll you know that, and then you can play off that and counter that. Yeah, to me, like that's what has always been so attractive about that front where they do slide BG inside or any other D right. inside is that – 
now you're forcing an offense to kind of pick their poison. Are you going to try and slide towards the best player on the line in Fletcher Cox, or are you going to slide towards a two DN side? Because typically, you know, when you have two DNs lining up on one side of the formation, that's sending off alarm bells that there could be some kind of a stunt, and you want right. to slide that way. So you're forcing an offense. Well, to no choose. question, because normally if you have three defensive linemen to one side of the center, and it can be a zero technique, but but three on the center or to one side of the center. Yep. Normally, and again, it's probably not a hundred percent, but it's a high percentage. I think it's over eighty five. You're going to get some form of a stunt. Yep. No, I would agree with that. Yeah. They did. They did a good amount of that yeah. uh, in this game. Let's go over uh, to the offensive side. Um, look, not not as productive, not no. as efficient as they were the week before against Green Bay. And I think a lot of people will say, "Oh man, like what happened with the offense in this game?" And I would say, "All right, well, what about the week before against Green Bay?" And then they played extremely well uh, in that game. Right. No, look, I think you look at penalties in this game. Says they had some untimely ones, ones that you could argue uh, whether or not they were penalties at all. But at the end of the day, they were penalties, and they set the offense back. Um, you know, I think that was one of the, really one of the bigger things that kind of hurt this unit uh, throughout the course of the game. Yeah, no, and I don't think it was a great performance. Yeah, you know, the reality is, and 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 look, we try to be fair and, and unbiased yep. when we talk. They, they have some limitations weapon wise. They don't really have a vertical threat right now, so the offense is somewhat condensed. So it's an offense that, for the most part. Uh, has to really, you know, matriculate the ball down the field. The run game was reasonably effective again. Yep. Uh, they still do some really nice things in the run game. Uh, but the pass game, you know, does have some limitations. Yeah. And if you take a shot, let's say you take a shot and you think one is there and you don't hit it, 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 it becomes magnified because it's not a team that is going to – right now take a lot of deep shots with Deshaun Jackson not playing, so sometimes it looks like it's magnified. Yeah, I think the, the stat that blew me away, and I, I wasn't even aware of it. Obviously, we knew that the Eagles were first in the NFL on third down during right, the game, right. but they the ran with a stat on the broadcast early on. Uh, I think coming into the game, they had converted 15 straight third downs of four yards or fewer, and they, they hit on the first two in the game, so they were 17 of 17. That's... Like remarkable, but ultimately to me. that's the offense that they are now, in the sense that they're trying to get to that. Yeah, but it's also like that, that's a, that's very hard to sustain. It's very hard to do, so which that's is what makes it tough. Yeah. Which it makes it really difficult, and it's it. You can also get stuck. Granted, that's phenomenal. It probably won't stay that way. It can't. Just right. the percentages yes, tell you and it, it didn't won't. In the game, right? Right, right. The percentages <laughs> tell you it won't. But it's very hard in this league, no matter who the opponent. By yep. the way. And, and, and by the way, not that we're speaking a lot about the Jets, but I thought a number of Jets defenders actually flashed in this game. They did. They played well. Yeah. They, they, so, they, they competed well. They team, competed well. defensively, yeah. yes. Um, so that's just a hard thing to do. But but when, when all said and done with the way this offense is now without a true vertical threat is they have to sustain offense. Yep. And obviously you want to get to third downs where it is four or less because that opens up your playbook in terms of what you can call because the run game is still in play. Yep. But – it's just a hard deal. It's a hard deal to go 9, 10, 11, 12 plays in this league with consistency and score touchdowns. Yeah, I think uh, you know it's certainly the, the way that they have to play offense. And, that, and that's the thing is when you play that way, you know, you're saying, okay, we need to matriculate the ball. That's going to result in a lot of plays. Lots of plays mean more opportunities for something to go wrong. Right. It could be a drop. It could be a bad right. read by a running back. It could be an errant throw by the quarterback, a missed block. All those things kind of come into play. So if you don't have that big play element, now you, know, you, right. can, you just don't need get, full team execution. They don't the get many chunk plays. Right. And, right now. And, yes. Right now. Yes. Correct. Um, but, you know, it's funny you mentioned running backs. I think one thing that continues to stand out is the way Sanders and Howard as well block. 
in the past game. Who man, I'm so glad you brought that up. You know, because Sanders had a great block on a play, which I think was an incomplete pass, maybe? It was an incomplete pass. But, I mean, it was a great block. Corner cat blitz. Yeah. And he saw it early. Yeah. And he... And he, he who, who was it? Was it? You know, I think it was... Uh, Tremaine Johnson? No, or I think it was Daryl Roberts. Daryl Roberts. Roberts. Yeah. I mean, he leveled him. And I thought even... The play where, where, of course, everybody's speaking about the play where where Carson Wentz ducked under. Yep. I thought Howard did a great job. Because, 110%. Because, look, let's take nothing away from Carson Wentz. He's yes. phenomenal doing those kinds of things. I'm so glad you went down this road. Yeah. But when all said and done, it was an inside stun, and Quinn and Williams basically got clean to the quarterback. It was very well designed by New York. Correct. They did, they did a lot to the, kind of break down the protection. They got Quinn in for Right, and... And Howard, at the last moment, because Williams is not his guy. Right. He's a defensive tackle. Nope. And at the last moment, he saw him and just was able to shove him. And again, taking nothing away from Carson Wentz, when you saw it live, it looked actually even better than it was. But but Williams got pushed enough by Howard yep. that he really wasn't as big a factor, you know, as, as it looked live. Yeah. And that was a great job by Howard because that was a recognition issue, not just a physical execution issue. It was. Uh, it was. A, we were watched it this afternoon, and you know, uh, Ben Fennel and I were. Yeah, great play by Carson, uh, but outstanding job by Jordan Howard. Oh, yeah. He actually started to that side. He started to the left, keep, looking outside. Keep, yeah, he yeah. started over to that side and came back around yep. and was able to just get enough, just get enough yep. of Quinn Williams. Um, but you know, having said that, that throw by Wentz, given what happened, you know, and that was. <laughs> That was a staple play. I'm sure you remember the play in detail. Yes. It was Dagger with the over route by by Ertz, right. and to come up and make that throw with the accuracy that he On did, the money. as if nothing happened, right. was pretty impressive. Yes, uh, he makes a throw. few of those plays here. He and there. makes those kind of throws yeah. here and there. Um, I would say too, uh, you know, we, while we're talking about the running backs, let's just continue that game. discussion. Yeah, in the past game, um, but then also just even overall, I think I'd like to talk just about the dynamic between Jordan Howard right, and Miles right. Sanders because uh, I think one of the big storylines, I guess, from a media standpoint, coming out of Monday's press conference was, uh, you know, uh, Doug Peterson was asked about the running back rotation and how does he see Jordan Howard, and he said, well, look, I kind of view him as maybe the lead back and Sanders uh, not being the lead back for the you know for the time being. Right. If there's a hot hand, then I'm going to go with the hot hand or the and way I, a given game plays out. Right, and I think right. a lot of people kind of ran with that, but I think that's kind of what we've seen over the last couple of weeks. I don't think that that's like far away from no, what I wouldn't we've seen say the last that that's two or three news. weeks. I think this is a team that decided against Green Bay uh, that they needed to, to really try to get a run game going. Yeah. And Green Bay helped by how they played. Of course, the Jets played nickel, I think, on every snap in the game too. Yeah. But I think when you're trying to get the run game going as a foundational element, yep. then Howard is the guy you really use to do that. Yeah. And Sanders becomes a bit of a compliment yeah. in, in, in that. Now, if you get into a game where you feel that you have some positive matchups in the past game and you maybe need to throw the ball a little more, maybe Sanders plays a few more snaps. Maybe that's the way it is against Minnesota. Who knows? Yep. But but obviously Sanders is a very good receiver. They got him on the wheel route. Now, I think that was the Take first. Take us through that play, yeah. Yeah, I made a note of that play, too. Now, that was, I believe, the first play. Uh, it was the first play of the second possession. Yep. Now, there's no way they knew, in my view. Maybe they didn't. That they were going to make this check? No, I don't know. That the Jets were going to be in a fire X blitz yeah. and that Phillips, the defensive end, was going to be running on a wheel route. With uh, Sanders. Well, I mean, maybe they did know that. Well, because so they, coaches know a lot of things. They, so they start out and empty. Right. And Miles they, Sanders they lined up outside. Sanders in, yeah. And Cashman was on a one-on-one. -on -one. Right. So to me, he's like, okay, 
that's man coverage. Let's go to mesh. I like this matchup. It's right. mesh, and we're, we're going to play right. you know, mesh versus right. man. And then the Jets, they make that check. They make a check, and that's then you got a better matchup than you were expecting. Right, right. So the Jets make a check, and and they go to that fire X inside blitz. So the two inside backers, Cashman and Ewart, blitz. Yep. So now what that means is is the outside linebacker Phillips is who the, was a D tackle DN at Tennessee, right? Like you right. know. He's the only one now who can run on the wheel with uh, Sanders. You're going to take that. So you felt pretty good about that. Same play, by the way, same play that Jordan Howard scored on against Green Bay. Like, same exact, same right, exact right, play. Right, right, Staple play well, in the yes, Eagles playbook. Staple yeah. play. Staple play. Right, and, and probably initially, the Eagles thought they would get something very similar because of what you said about Cashman being outside and coming back in. Yeah, my guess is, is that they saw that and said, okay, like that's our man indicator. Right. Let's now go to our man beater, one of our best man beaters in mesh, and right. we'll play this out. Right, and, and and he'll have to work through the traffic, and the same thing that happened against Green Bay with Jordan Howard will yep. happen here. Yeah. They got and better, the Jets they got, changed, which, you know, you can argue that Greg Williams, the D.C. for the Jets, made a real nice call, but he, he got burnt. He got burnt. Um, I think it'll be just, you know, when you look at these two guys and just how they – because. You know, to me, Jordan Howard, the tone setter early on in the game, he's going to be not their foundation, but he's going to be. It's kind of like you know, he's when you want to run the football against these teams. Jordan Howard is a guy, and he's running really, really well, well right now, without question. And he's he's a sustaining runner, and and that's what this offense is now. That's why yes. he's so critical, because maybe Sanders gives you a little more explosiveness, but at the end of the day, what this offense is now built on is sustaining the football, and you need. Sanders is is probably not ready to turn two yard gains into five yard gains on a consistent basis, mm. whereas Howard is. That's what Howard is as how, a runner. How dissimilar is it to how what the dynamic was in New Orleans for the last few years with Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara? Well, in all honesty, I think both those backs are better than what the yeah, Eagles. Yeah, I'm just have. saying in terms of the dynamic. But you're talking about the the st- style. Yeah. I mean, it's a similar style. Yeah. You have a guy in Howard who's a really good inside runner, and you have a player like Sanders who certainly can work on the perimeter and can work on the perimeter in the pass game. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, no, it's it's going to be interesting. That's going to be you know what how you're going to kind of view that uh, moving forward. I thought the offensive line, uh, run game, Brandon Brooks moving people once. I mean, he had a, another really strong game. Although I tell you what, I thought watching the tape and and again, the Jets attacked the interior of the Eagles' offensive line with their with their uh, pressure schemes. Yep. And they obviously felt that that was an area that they could attack. And they had, I don't want to say they had success where they shut down the Eagles offense, but I thought there were a few too many plays that, that were problematic and that, that need to be cleaned up for this week. Oh, it's, it's they're going to be, get a big test this week yeah. with uh, what Minnesota can do from a pressure standpoint. Let's just transition down to the uh, Minnesota Vikings and a team that the Eagles have seen. They're very familiar with yep. what Mike Zimmer and what they're trying to do from a defensive standpoint. I believe every year Doug Peterson's been here. The Eagles have played the Minnesota Vikings, whether it's regular season or postseason. Um, so two very familiar foes. Right. When did uh, they play them last year? Uh, what, they what played them the relatively early. It was around the same time. Might have been the same week last yeah, year. Right? It was yeah, it was week five, week it was six. It was early. It was week five, week six. Yeah. Might have even been week four. Derek yeah. Barnett got hurt in the game. Right, um, right. The Eagles lost the game. Uh, I remember, yeah, because it was early for sure. It was early, yeah. yeah. So when we talk about this Mike Zimmer defense, and you know the longtime listeners will be aware uh, of what this de- defense is about, but 
high pressure scheme in terms of the threat of pressure is always there. Right, but it's interesting. It's funny you say that because they had not been a big blitz team until this week, and they blitzed a lot this they week. They blitzed a lot against Daniel Jones. Yeah, now, again, we don't know if it was Daniel Jones, the Giants O-line, but they blitzed a lot. Yeah. But their core, as a core defense, they're predominantly an over-front 4-3. Yep. Which means that the three technique is to the strong side of the formation. To the tight end side, yep. To the tight end side. They play a lot of split safety. Quarters, cover four is a foundational coverage for them. And uh, and that's why Andrew Sandejo was so good there. It's why Anthony Harris can, can function there because Anthony Harris is another safety that's not a pure box safety and he's not a pure uh, post safety. But when you play split safety and cover four, Anthony Harris can be an effective player. Sure. And when I think when you look at uh, from a their foundation from a pressure standpoint over the last few years, we've talked about you know those split mug looks, those double. They don't a do gap that looks. as much as they used to. Yeah, it's the threat of it is always there. Yeah. Um, but they but, went with a little bit more diamond front this past a week. A little more diamond front, meaning five across. Yep. With Bar and Bar is Bar is their pressure linebacker. Yes. Rarely. Rarely is Kendricks the blitzer. I mean, obviously, nothing's 100%, but rarely is Kendricks the extra rusher. It's normally Barr. This week, he a high percentage of the time came from the outside in that diamond five across front, but he can come from inside as well, yeah. and that depends on the opponent. It depends on the week. Yeah, so you've... What, they, what we're seeing more is the more of that diamond front, more bear looks as well. Um, Which everybody in the NFL is seems doing. To be working that seems ends. to yeah. be one of the trends over the last year or two that everybody's doing, that five across bear front that everybody runs out of nickel. With, so it's the two guys standing up over the edge with the three interior a little bit more condensed and covering up the guard, the two guards in the center. Right. You have a, you have a zero technique over the center and a three, a three technique sort of off the shoulder, the outside shoulder of the offensive guards. The team that we last saw that used it a good amount was Atlanta. What are, yes. the, what are the big strengths of what is the defense hoping to accomplish with a front like that? Well, you're theoretically clogging up the middle. Yeah. Ideally, that's what you're trying to do yep. is clog up the middle. It, it Two, three techniques are tougher for an offensive line to handle than, let's say, a normal four-man, excuse me, a normal four-man front. They're tougher to block in the run game. So teams do that. I would imagine you'll see some of that, particularly when Jordan Howard's in the game. Yep. Uh, because he's an inside runner. They normally don't get him on the outside. Now, that's a front where... You can wham that front, sure. So you would not. And it would not have, surprise yeah. me to see the wham game as part of the Eagles' offense this week. And by wham, just so people can visualize it, you bring a tight end. It's almost always a tight end in the Eagles' case. You bring him from sort of just outside the formation, and he takes care of one of the three techniques, and that makes the front now easier to block because yep. you have an extra body that's not an offensive lineman to sure. block. So it wouldn't surprise me to see that. It wouldn't surprise me to see maybe a little trap game this week week as well yep. against that front because yeah. that also can take care of a penetrating three technique. The, uh, the side note, the Jets tried to wham uh, Fletcher one play. It was the third quarter, I believe, and he's, he read it the whole way. Right. Like, saw the blocker coming, chucked right. him, and, and was able to make a play yeah. in the backfield. Um, I think from a front standpoint, the other big thing that's very interesting is you know they get Everson Griffin back. Uh, they, he missed most of last he's week. He did not play. The and they get Killer spin move. He's been, killer getting, spin he's been move. beating with people with it all season Oh, my long. God. He um, made Nate Solder look pretty bad a couple he, of times. He got him a couple but times. But it's not just been Nate Solder. Jake Matthews, the, yeah, he got a couple yeah, times in Atlanta yeah. game week one. He's gotten a few That's a test it. for for both, because he plays both sides. That's a test for both Jason Peters and Lane Johnson. Who, by the way, I think Lane Johnson's playing really good football. Yes. Uh, that holding penalty was... 
bit questionable. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I just think he's become, you know, not become, he's been good, but I mean, he's just a really solid right tackle. He really is. Um, and I think when you've got, you know, that front, Everson Griffin, uh, Donnell Hunter uh, off the other side, what they'll do is they go into a little bit of a speed package where uh, you've got those two. They'll put Anthony Barr up on the line of scrimmage and, and some of those look. Stephen Weatherly. Uh, they've got one of our guys from Northwestern, uh, Ifadi Odenabo. He'll line him up That's inside. easy for you to say. Well, I try, I try and sneak it in there when I can. I um, liked him, as you know, coming out. Yeah. I really did. And, yeah. and again, we'll see what his, how his career goes, but I'm glad to see. See, I think he's with a team now where he could thrive in, in kind of a rotational role. Yeah. Because I think that style of defense – Fits him. And Hercules Mataafa is a sub-package interior rusher. Uh, You're for good them. with the names, Fran. I just kind of roll them off. I mean, that's wow. what we do on the Journey of the Draft podcast. We talk wow. about these guys all year round. Good for uh, you. Well, Mataafa is a guy that uh, also kind of fits into that scheme. Without a, question. A sub-package Washington rusher. State, right? Washington State. Because Washington State under that – is that coordinator still there? No, nah, he just he just left, actually. Because remember how much movement they did with their defensive yeah, fronts? Yeah, guys all over. All over, yeah. Yeah, so I, when they Where rotate, do you go, by the way? Uh, Tracy Clay's uh, literally just stepped down this past weekend. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we're a rough go out there for the Cougars to start. <coughs> um, but I think when you look at this defensive front, they've got those athletic guys they mix and match, and then they've got those two guys that I think, you know, they want to hang their hats on stuffing the run uh, on early downs with Linval Joseph and Shamar St- uh, Steven as well. The Connecticut kid, another Connecticut guy I really kid, like yes. coming out of college. Uh, for just this role. Yes, Yeah. right. And that's <laughs> kind of how they – and Jaleel Johnson, uh, another rotational player. They play a lot of guys up front, so that's the, the kind of the thing to know about this Minnesota defense. One play, it'll look one way. Next yep. down, it could look completely different. And I, I agree. Thought, I think they're also doing a better a better job this year of disguising and changing things up uh, kind of late in the I think the they've been a little phase. more multiple front this year. Yeah. They're, they're, yeah. The very first sack of the year, actually, right. against Atlanta, they lined up one way. I want to say uh, they lined up in their typical 4-3 over front very late. You know, shot clock is right. coming down. They shift down. They slide uh, the D end in. Anthony Barr comes down, and they, the offense didn't account for him. Right. He came in scot free. Yeah. They've done a lot of different things from disguise uh, this year. So big test mentally, physically uh, for this Eagles team. It's a very big front. test. It's a very, very good. You front. know, and the thing is, is I tell you, Mike Hughes is a really good slot corner. Oh man, he made a, a dynamite play. He's a really good yesterday. slot corner. Yeah. Um, it's going to be interesting when Mackenzie Alexander, who's been, I guess, uh, inactive. And I don't know what they're going to do because last year Mackenzie Alexander was a really good slide yeah, corner. Right. I mean, but, you know, the one thing that's interesting watching the tape, and again, that's what we do, friend. We watch the tape, is I think at this point, Xavier Rhodes does not run very well. I thought it in the preseason. Yeah. And I thought, oh, well, you know, it's I preseason. I started noticing you know, it last year a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you watched it a little closer last yeah. year, late in the year. I didn't see yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, now, again, it gets back to the fact that without Deshaun Jackson, the Eagles don't really have someone who can run by Xavier Rhodes, right. but he's. He's not as as good on the deep ball as he once was. And uh, the Giants also went after Trey Wayne's couple double moves that should have hit. They should well, have been big he's plays. very vulnerable to double moves. He's yeah. always been in his yep. career. Yep. Very athletic guy, but he's always been vulnerable to to those moves. So Ray, Xavier Rhodes is the right corner. Trey Wayne's the left corner. Mike Hughes, uh, the nickel, who will spot duty on the outside as yeah, well. Yeah, and, and it wouldn't surprise me, though, because I don't think they have to worry about Alshon going deep. It wouldn't surprise me if Jeffrey... Uh, and if Rhodes matches they up match with Jeffrey, up? which they've done, they've done that before in the past. I think they yeah. did it during the NFC yeah. title game. Yeah, uh, yeah. They, I don't think they've done it this year at all. Yeah, with well, the, depending we'll on who they played. Yeah. Yeah. Now they may not because right. the other wide receiver is likely to be Mac Collins, right? Who's big, you know, so they may feel you know no problem. Sure. Um, and then you've got Harrison Smith, one of the better safeties right. in the league, an inter- interchangeable player, uh, can come downhill and yeah. defend the run very well. Uh, quick thoughts on Harrison Smith? Oh, just a really good player. Um, 
the kind of player that can be really impactful in, in the run game and the pass game. And you mentioned earlier about a little disguise. He's one of those guys that's a master of disguise. Very good. Yep. He's really good, good at, at kind of holding his water, as the expression is, and not moving until the last possible moment and just showing you one thing and then getting to something else. Really good at that. Also, when they do decide to blitz, the, and, and it's not Anthony Barr, yeah. Harrison Smith is a very good blitzer sure. off the edge. No question. Uh, let's go over to the other side where – this has been the, the kind of the rejuvenation for this team is, you know, in, in Mike Zimmer's image, they bring in Gary Kubiak, right. and now they have become a running football team. Uh, Dalvin Cook is playing the best football of his NFL Dynamic career. Dynamic and explosive. Run game, pass game, doesn't matter. They're Outside the zone run game is the foundation. Really good in the screen game. Yeah. Multiple screen game. They had a great throwback screen last week. They'll be but breaking they that also, one down on Eagles game plan this week. Uh, they also have... Um, uh, conventional screens. They just want to get Cook the ball in space because he's really dynamic. Yeah, and the tight end screens in there. Receiver, yep. they do a lot from the screen game. Uh, screens and draws, and that's, yeah. to me, like if you're an Eagles fan, what's what's one thing? that? Yeah, we know they're going to run the ball. We know Kubiak would play action, boot action. That's what his MO is. To me, I'd go into this and say the Eagles have to make sure that they are buttoned up with the screen game and on those draws. Anything where they're going to try and suck up the defense and then hit them over the top with something uh, late developing, that those and the are two Eagles have I'd typically been good at this, but it has to be a focus this week in practice, and that's playing the boot. Yes. Now, normally they've been good at it. Yep. You know, but... Fourth and one this past week, they go boot uh, right. booted midfield. Right. Brandon Graham's so right in the quarterback's their face. Their DNs have been very good at playing with discipline and not working down the line of scrimmage. Yep. Um, because uh, the boot game is a major part of what the um, the Vikings do. Yeah. And they've hit big plays. They hit a touchdown on a really well-designed boot. I think it was against the Raiders a couple of weeks ago. Yes. Where uh, Kirk Cousins booted left, and it was a really nice route by Adam Thielen. And, As he's, he's tend to do. Yeah, yep. and this week they had a really nice boot where he hit Thielen, and Thielen ended up going for 44 yards. It was a... Great play design, by the way, yep. and and it was a play I really loved. But they do a great job with boot both to the right and to the left, and you've got to be aware of that. You've got to play with discipline. As I said, the Eagles have done that very, very well, but it still must be a fine focus this week in practice. So take it just for uh, when we say play action and we say boot, what does boot? What separates a boot play from just a normal play action? Well, normal play action, the quarterback just drops straight back. Yep. Play action boot, he boots out. It's designed movement by the quarterback. So it's like a fake Get, run right, quarterback rolls yeah, left. Yeah, and they off do it the off fake. their outside zone run yes. game. So the whole idea is that you get the defense theoretically moving one way, and then you boot the other way. And now you create the defense. It, it's 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 a deception play, really. Yep. It's a misdirection deception play. Yep. Because you get the defense reacting to one thing, and that's not what's happening. And now something else is happening that they then have to react to and recover to. So when you boot the quarterback, and it'll be interesting to see how the Vikings handle this, sometimes you can actually bring a blocker out in front of them. Mm -hmm. Now, the Vikings didn't do that the times I've seen them do boot, but we'll see how the Eagles play it. If they feel that that's something that they have to do against the Eagles, maybe they'll do that. Because as we said, the Eagles' defensive end to the side of the boot have been very good at, at sort of staying home. Which, by the way, it works both ways. Because you know there was one thing, I don't know if you noticed this, watching their offense this week, they did this really sneaky thing with the tight end on the backside of their stretch run plays where it's a run play, let's say it's a run left, and you've got the, uh, the, run, the tight end on the right side. 
the tight end would kind of peel off mid-play and the linebacker, the backside linebacker, would run back with him. And he also has to respect that boot fake. And the ball, no. it's a run play the whole way. Right. But it's a good way to take care of that backside no backer. Question. They have to respect the boot fake. Yeah, it's all, well, what we've seen now in the NFL, and, and the principle probably comes from college, not that the exact plays, but you're seeing so much more now with misdirection and deception on basic play concepts. Yeah. And so you're seeing that more and more in the NFL. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's something that, you know, the, the boot helps the run, the right. run helps the boot, right. uh, and that certainly is a staple of what they do. And I, it sounds like a, I tried very hard as I'm putting the show together for Eagles game plan. I didn't want it to be like a broken record because I feel like every week we're saying, all right, got to watch out for stretch run. You got to watch out for play action. Well, We've done to. it with a couple of these well, that's game, what they teams. Are. That's what they're. That's what everybody's doing. And, that's what, and by the way, that's what Kirk Cousins is. Yes. You know, obviously we know there's no mystery to Kirk Cousins. Okay. Talk he, about him as a player overall. Kirk yeah. Cousins is is a complementary piece in a well put together and well designed offense. And that's why with Kirk Cousins, you need the play action pass game. You need the play action boot pass game. You need the quick game. Then maybe you get. You know, a, you get some screens. You in get there. some screens. Yep. You get then maybe you get the slot fades. May you know you hit Adam Thielen for a touchdown. Right. Slot fade you know you week. get yep. you get schemed throws or timing and rhythm throws. Yep, that's what Kirk Cousins is. If he has to do more than that on a regular basis, he'll struggle. Are there games in which he can do it, and in games in which he's ha he has done it in his career? Yes, but percentage wise. Kirk Cousins is a certain kind of quarterback, and you try to play to his strengths. And I think that's one reason why they brought Gary Kubiak in, because that offense plays to his strengths. For people who remember, to me, Kirk Cousins is a lot like Matt Schaub. Mm. When Matt, when Gary Kubiak was the head coach in Houston a number of years ago, yep. and Matt Schaub, I think one year Matt Schaub under Gary Kubiak led the NFL in passing yards. You know, another quarterback who you wouldn't call a phenomenal arm talent, but can run a schemed offense very effectively. And remember... You know, Gary Kubiak comes from Mike Shanahan. Mike Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan had Kirk Cousins in Washington, right. and when he had that success, it's the it's, it all, a, it's a good match. And Kyle likes Kirk Cousins because yeah. it's it all starts with the outside zone run game. Yep. Uh, it's uh, I mean, that's that's the philosophy that they're going with, and it's right now it's working for them. But I, I want to say one more thing, just about where I think the Eagles could potentially. I think they need to have an advantage, despite the running, and I'm sure the running stats are very good. The running stats are pretty good. Okay, and yeah, Dalvin Cook's been just tremendous. But I think when you watch the tape, Fran, and yeah. I don't know your feeling, I think the interior three of the Vikings' offensive line have, have been up and down. Up and down, I would I, say I, I don't think they've been – you know, you look at the rushing numbers and, and maybe someone says, oh, boy, the offensive line's great. Yeah. Well, I think the rookie center, Garrett Bradbury, has struggled on and off. I think the, the – the, um, the left guard, Elfline, he's the left guard, right? He's probably struggled more than he's not. He's struggled. Yeah. And I think even the right guard, Josh Klein, has had some struggles. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that that's, that's an area that I think the Eagles have to win that battle. Yep. I think that that would be something where you'd kind of look at and say, okay, this is an area uh, where we can try and take advantage. Um, I want to ask you about the, the pass targets as well, because while it is a run game focus uh, offense, I think when you look at Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs, Probably one of the best receiving duos in the NFL. They don't really have a third. They don't, and that's why all the talk about all the are they going to trade Stephon Diggs. This team is a, this is a team that's trying to compete to go to the playoffs and play in February. Mm -hmm. They don't have a third. They have they they, they came in and, and BB was kind of their their guy. He got hurt. Now they're relying on the rookie uh, BC Johnson. Who, nice by player. The way, I like I like BC Johnson hey. coming out of Colorado State. Um, here you go, friend. I mean, that's you. that's kind of what they're looking at right now. They're seeing they bought back Laquan Treadwell after releasing him. 
All right, where are we at? Oh, is this B.C. Johnson? There yeah. We go. You want to read the whole thing or <laughs> no, just the no, transition? No, no, you can just read the, the I mean, trans- Johnson has the look of a look and feel of a professional receiver with his refined understanding of route running and his consistent hands, and, but there are definite questions about his overall play athleticism and speed and movement. Johnson scored very well in the explosive test of the scouting combine, but he did not play like that on tape. He looked like a short-to-intermediate receiver who might struggle to win outside as a Z versus quality NFL corners. Uh, can he transition to the NFL as a big slot and work between the numbers versus slot corners, linebackers, and safeties and zone coverage? What do you think? I think that's probably spot All on right. where we're at right now. I yeah. think uh, when you're looking at those guys, I mean, that's – and I like P.C. Johnson the same way that you did. I thought yeah. that he was that kind of a player. Um, you know, everyone was – I mean, he's of, part of their pass game. But what's is. interesting, too, is uh, on a number of third and longs, they keep Irv Smith in the game and play with two tight ends. Irv Smith has looked good. I mean, he really moves. Now, he hasn't caught a lot of balls yet. He hasn't. I would expect that to increase. And I don't know if it starts this week against the Eagles. We don't know that. Yeah. But they line him outside, plus splits outside the numbers. And he, if you didn't know who he was, you'd think he was a big wideout. He's a sharp, yeah, sharp route runner. I agree. And he gets after it in the run game, too. And he's not quite as big as as most tight ends. Yep. I think he was 241 or 242 at the Combine, so he doesn't look like a big tight end. Yeah. He looks like a big wideout. Uh, a guy that certainly, uh, I think, has a bright future ahead yeah. of him, especially in that offense, the way that they play. Uh, last player I want to talk about, well, actually, last element of this game or this team I want to talk about is the run game from a personnel standpoint. Um, Dalvin Cook, uh, really playing the best football of his career. Take us Without through. Question. Is there something about him? Because I'm going to go through my notes on him later in the show. Is there th- something about him, the way that he's playing now, that has surprised you? Or is it about what you expected coming out of FSU? I would say it's about what I expected. Because to me, what stands out most to me about him is he's really kind of a space runner. They do outside zone. Um, I don't think he's he's weak, but the, the way their run game has played out this year, he hasn't been broken a ton of tackles. Right. I mean, he just gets it and goes. I will say his contact balance, I don't want to you know, give away too much for what I'll say. His contact balance has impressed me a little bit. Like even like his ability when he takes a hit in his lower half to just kind of contort his body and stay alive yeah, and keep yeah. going. I, but that's I been think, impressive. He's but, not a power runner. But I think but. he can do that once he gains momentum. That's fair. In yes. other words, I don't think he's he can, he's not taking that in the backfield. Right, right. Like and I don't and because of the nature of their run game, I don't think he's worked a lot in confined space. Yeah, that's fair. I, you know, but but I think he's incredibly explosive. Um, you know, I think he's a velocity and momentum runner. When mm. he gets going, he's a tough guy to tackle. And, you know, in the open field, he has – he's kind of got a subtle shiftiness to him. Like, I wouldn't call him, you know, like, you don't see him stop and start. And he be, doesn't have Christian McCaffrey wiggle in the hole. No, he's not a wiggle yeah, he's guy. He's not that guy, no. But, but there's a subtle elusiveness to him that he can do without really slowing down. Mm. Can I tell you another guy that's really impressed me in that backfield? C.J. Ham. They use him in a lot of ways. He's he is a. They hammer. play a lot with a fullback. He they play a lot with a fullback. Uh, I've got some clips saved that will roll out later this week that where he is just destroying, yeah. melting players yeah. uh, on the perimeter and at the second level. Um, they do they line him up in line against the Jets or against the Giants a little bit. No, they do. Uh, they he do mean, some different things. He moves him. all around. Yeah, without question. The uh, rookie running back, third round pick, Alexander mm-hmm. Madison, was a guy uh, you and I both studied coming out of Boise State this year. Yeah, and, and I. To be honest with you, I didn't love him, but he's shown either. more juice now than he did, I thought, at Boise State. Yeah. So it's uh, it's interesting. But the other guy I want to mention, I think, is Amir Abdullah. It's a big part of the, what they he's do. He's becoming a big part. And I think because they don't want Cook to be worn out after half the season, Abdullah's becoming kind of their third down back. Yep. And I think that's a role that fits him well. Yeah. I mean, they're doing some different things with, uh, you know, 
uh, just Sometimes backfield they both action. Play together you know, too. The, the, that's that's the thing is that you yeah, saw more of that yeah. this week against New York, where those two were on the field together. But Abdul is a good receiver. He still has some explosiveness. If it's third and four, you have to be careful about him running the football. Yep. So uh, they have a nice backfield trio. Yeah. Uh, and if you count Ham, uh, four guys a quartet. But I'm talking about the explosive elements. They've got a nice backfield trio. Yeah. Draws and screens with Amir Abdul. Keep keep an eye out yeah. uh, for that for sure. Well, Greg, uh, excited to break this matchup down. Actually, I've got one other question for you. There's a big, big game here uh, this week in the NFL that you may not watch when it comes to Monday morning, but it could influence who is the first overall pick in next in next. Talking about draft. Washington Miami, we got Washington versus Miami. Yeah. How do you like that matchup? I haven't given it a lot of thought. <laughs> I know. I, was, I, wanted to, I wanted to spring it on you. Uh, it was something that I thought about today. I was like, huh. Well, this although is gonna, this I is... found it very interesting that Bill Callahan, who's now the interim yeah. head coach, basically came out and said that. There's no chance Dwayne Haskins will even be considered it playing. I think it, uh, what was the quote? What was the quote? It was remember? something. I don't remember the exact quote, but it was basically, yeah, it hasn't been decided yet. But Dwayne Haskins is third string, which kind of says a lot, right? I mean, because you and I are not there. That wasn't every the day. exact quote, right? But you and I are not there every day, right? Yep. And it's easy on the outside to say put him in there, but when a coach says that, who's there every day, that tells you that they, they for the for the kids' sake, yep. they can't put him out there, right? So we'll see how that plays out. All right. Well, we'll see. I, so I can't get any kind of breakdown on how this game's going to go. Huh? Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> I figured it would be the case. I probably won't be watching that in That's great right, detail. That's right. You're not going to be You're not going to no, be watching that no, film uh, first thing no, Monday morning when you come no. in. Um, well, look, excited to break that. This could be a fun game, uh, Eagles and the Vikings. Uh, we've got a lot of it these. It should be a very intense game. It should be. It yeah. should be. Uh, it's going to be a hard fought game for sure. Well, Greg, uh, look forward to talking about it with you next year or next week here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. Thanks for joining us on Chalk Talk. Great stuff from Greg, and you could follow him on Twitter just like I do, at Greg Cosell. And while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all of the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Make sure you check out our All-22 review, where this week I broke down some of the key plays that happened in Sunday's game. I'm breaking down that stuff as it happens on Sunday, so you can go check them out. They get posted to PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app as the game is going on. So make sure you go give that a look. And obviously all of our podcasts, the Journey to the Draft podcast, the Eagles Insider podcast with Dave Spadaro, we've got so much going on from an audio standpoint on a weekly basis. So make sure you go check all of those out wherever podcasts can be found. And while we're at it, Go give us a rating. Get, leave us a comment. It's the best way to leave, to give us some support. And I wanted to give a shout-out to some people that did exactly that. Uh, we'll start off with Eagles fan in Giantland who left a five-star review and had a very uh, good question. Said they learned something new every show. Said, would you explain the difference between inside zone and outside zone run plays? So Eagles fan in Giantsland, really the big thing is, you know, with both plays, you're trying to get the defense uh, to move horizontally, right? From, to move east-west, sideline to sideline, to help create some kind of a crease. And especially, it's really evident on those outside zone plays where you're essentially trying to stretch the front side, get them moving sideline to sideline, and get some kind of a cutback lane on the backside. A crease is going to develop somewhere as long as everybody up front is doing their job. And really, you're making things easy for the offensive line because all they have to do is worry about the person that's directly to the whatever side that you're running. So if you're running it to the right, whatever defender shows up in the gap to the right, that's who that offensive lineman or that tight end has to block. If it's someone that crosses their face and goes over to the left, 
That's the other guy's problem. They have to worry about that on the backside. So it makes things pretty simple for the offensive line. You need athletic players there, uh, whether it's inside zone or outside zone. You like those offensive linemen to be able to move. But then also for the running back, that's where you preach about patience and being able to find the crease and read the defense, understand how to be able to, to kind of navigate that. We had uh, Jeff Stalin on Eagles game plan last week, and he talked about with the running back. You just kind of have, it's like surfing. You have to ride the wave. That's how those running backs have to operate in those zone run schemes. Is you're trying to be able to figure out how the defense is deployed. Are they going to stretch and run sideline to sideline? Is anybody attacking downhill? Where is that crease going to open up? Where is that hole going to develop? And you want to be able to get be patient up through the to the hole and then use that burst to fly through it. And that's why you've seen so many running backs that maybe weren't the most athletic or the most physically gifted be really, really effective in those schemes. You think back to most recently, Alfred Morris in Washington was such a good zone runner for Kyle Shanahan uh, in those schemes, from Mike Shanahan before that, with all that they were asked to do in those zone run schemes. And, you know, we see backs all around the NFL that are very, very effective in those schemes. So the big difference really... I guess between inside and outside is the just the angle of departure for both the, the offensive line and the running back. For the you know for outside zone, you're going to see it be much more of a, a wider, more outside step for the offensive line and for the running back. So that departure is going to be more towards the sideline. Where inside zone, you know, the running back, the offensive lineman, it's a little bit flatter of a step. They're staying a little bit more square. You're still trying to get those cutback lanes and try and find where that hole is going to develop, but it's just a little bit more defined on those outside zone. You're going to see a lot more uh, width on those initial steps from the running back and from the offensive lineman. Really good question there from Eagles fan in Giants land. Next question, uh, or next comment from Sports Savant. Left a five-star review saying, how much they enjoy the back and forth between Greg and myself. They love the instant memory of players' alma maters. Well, that's what we do. Really appreciate that, Sports Savant. And then also Mild Opinions left a five-star review with a really just a long, thorough, in-depth response about how much they enjoy the show and how they uh, how they listen each and every week. Really, really appreciate. Uh, very, very kind uh, of you to leave that kind of review, uh, Mild Opinions. So great stuff there from Eagles fan and Giants land. Sports Savant, Mild Opinions. Thank you to you three and all of you out there for listening, whether it's on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the mobile app or on all or any of our podcast channels. All right, let's keep this thing going. Let's now advance to our scouting report segment where I'm going to read my notes on Dalvin Cook coming out of Florida State. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, well, let's get now to my notes on Dalvin Cook. And this is a player that, you know, was a little mercurial. You know, some people were really, really high on Dalvin Cook, thought he'd be, you know, one of the one or two best running backs in the class. Some people not as high. And obviously there were some, uh, you know, there was some stuff in the background with Dalvin Cook and you weren't sure, you know, what you were getting. So there were, you know, there was a little bit uh, of a, we'll say, a mixed bag in terms of what the reports were on Dalvin Cook from a media standpoint. But just off the film, this kid had lots and lots of talent, and you're seeing that come to the fruition here uh, this season now that he's fully healthy. Uh, I'll just go to my notes now. Two-year starter playing for Jimbo Fisher in that pro-style offense. You saw one and two back sets. You saw a good mix of zone and gap schemes. They did a really good job, I thought, at Florida State of using misdirection, uh, You know, just trying to find him to get him in space against the flow of the defense, take advantage of that speed. He had home run speed, and he still has home run speed in the NFL. He just moves at a different gear, uh, a burner that gets to top speed very quickly, could make a house call at any point on the field. If you hesitate or false step at any point as a defender, especially at the second or third level, he was going to make you pay. Always made guys look bad if they took bad angles in space. 
that continues here in the NFL, especially this season. They've really done a really nice job uh, of getting him in space, getting him up to the second level. And with his speed, he can make people look silly. He's had some really big runs for that team so far through the first five games. He didn't test well at the combine, but I thought on film he played like a good athlete. That wasn't something that was a concern for me. He did test poorly at the combine, but on film, you saw the change of direction. You saw the lateral movement. Obviously, the short area linear stuff as well was all there on film, so that was not a concern for me. Uh, I thought he had solid vision, and even times where he did hesitate a little bit, I thought that he had that speed and that burst to make up for it, so that was not something that I thought would be a hindrance. I thought that he tried to fight through contact pretty well. He kept his feet churning uh, on contact, would fight for extra yardage. I thought he was a solid receiver out of the backfield. He was good on screens. He could be used on wheel routes out of the backfield as well, so used in different ways. He wasn't necessarily moved around the formation. I thought that part was a little bit overrated from a media standpoint coming into the league, Um, but this was a guy that could impact out of the backfield as a receiver, no question. They do some really good things, as we talked about earlier, in the passing game with Dalvin Cook and with those running backs, so that's something certainly to watch for in this game. From a negative standpoint you know he had an athletic build long arms but I thought he had a thin lower half he only weighed 210 pounds at the combine so I and other people had a lot of concerns about okay is this guy going to be able to handle a full workload can he be a foundation back at any given point can he be a primary ball carrier at any point obviously he has proven that that is not going to be a concern for him Uh, at times I thought he would bounce outside a little bit too quickly we see that uh, with speed backs at college level they trust that speed a little bit too much at times uh, and that would be an issue for him in the NFL haven't seen that on film this season that's something that he has certainly shaken the big thing for me uh, that you know watching him and I put this in my notes was you know he ran through more arm tackles as a junior than he did at any point in his career I studied him actually all three years at Florida State Uh, but that was not something I viewed as a strength for his his contact balance was not something I said you know what this is going to be a strength of his moving on to the NFL I didn't see him as a guy that you know his his offensive line they didn't always do him many favors he saw a lot of contact uh, behind the line of scrimmage at the line of scrimmage and there were times where he made some people miss but that was not something I said man he's going to have that at the next level in fact Kareem Hunt was a player that I thought had was was actually a little bit higher than Cook in this class because of his ability to create yardage for himself uh, in that manner I didn't see that with Cook on film now, he's, his contact balance is very, very impressive with Minnesota. That's something that I clearly missed on uh, with, in terms of being a strength in his game, and he has taken that to another level here this season in Minnesota. He's got the ability to make that first man miss with contact balance, which is very, very impressive. The big negative, and I think this is still an issue for him, is pass protection. I said at best, he will be serviceable at the next level. Two times I thought he was a little indecisive. His technique needed to get a little bit better. He didn't always put everything into it when he would go into the point of contact, that point of truth there, the point of no return, uh, taking on blitzers. And that's something I'd still like to see him improve on uh, here coming now that he's three years into his his NFL career. But uh, pass protection, one big thing. And then ball security. He fumbled four times in 14 games that I studied in his college career. He lost one. He put one in the ground in the red zone. He actually lost one in the red zone this past week as well against the New York Giants, speaking of that. So ball security was also a little bit of a concern for me coming into the NFL. So ball security and pass protection – Kind of two things you worry about with young running backs coming in the league. That gave me a little bit of pause, uh, especially, you know, he didn't test well at the combine. There were just some red flags there with him that gave you a little bit of pause with Dalvin Cook. But ultimately, my final note on him, you know, my as my kind of my overall 
uh, mission statement with him, I guess. Uh, there were red flags, and he's definitely got some buyer beware to him, but he's got the ability to be a starter uh, in an off-tackle perimeter or cutback scheme, and that's exactly what they've got now with Gary Kubiak. Not one where he's got to often work downhill between the tackles. Again, I kind of over undervalued his ability to run through contact, but he might be better off ultimately as a lightning running back and a running back by committee. And again, he has over outperformed uh, that expectation. I wrote down D'Angelo Williams and, and Chris Johnson as comparisons. I want to give some credit to Josh Norris. He was big on the D'Angelo Williams comparison with him coming out. I saw a little bit more CJ2K because of that speed, that ability to impact the game and create those big plays. Well, no matter how you slice it, we talked about him earlier in the show. Dalvin Cook is the guy you've got to stop in this Minnesota offense, the way that they are playing right now. Uh, run game, pass game, he is a game-breaker for them. You know, you've got those stud receivers on the outside, but Dalvin Cook is the guy that you've got to stop in this Minnesota offense. So those are my notes on him coming out of Florida State. Uh, really appreciate everybody that tuned in this week to the journey or to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. We will see you next week. Much thanks to Greg Cosell, as always, and all of you out there listening. Thanks for joining us here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.